Well, Christmas is right around the corner for those who celebrate, and there's a lot of gift-giving this time of year. People are giving gifts to one another, whether they're into it or not, or maybe they don't celebrate Christmas, but they have other reasons to exchange gifts. The reason I bring this up is because I have found the perfect gift for the adventure motorcyclist. I mean the perfect gift. It's really cool, and the neat thing about it is it's never been made before. This is a brand new thing. How often do you find that nowadays? I mean, nowadays you can search for anything and find it on the internet. Well, I am positive you are not going to find this anywhere else. It's a great gift. So if you know somebody out there you want to buy something for, for for this season's greetings, or I don't know, you want to buy it for yourself, or maybe you want to buy it and ship it to me. I'm good with that too. I'd love to have one. Stick around. I'll tell you more about that coming up. We also have Graham Field talking about his latest book, Different Natures. And you're going to get a kick out of this interview listening to Graham Field. He's a, he's a character. And the nice thing about him, once you get him talking, he, he tends to really let loose. So he probably gives away more than he should. Stick around for that. We also have J.J. Lewis and Ron Grace from Lost for a Reason. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. This is Lois Price of Lois on the Loose, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. And if you haven't been to Max BMW yet, you need to go and look at this website. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And this episode is also brought to you by Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, and Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA with a five-year warranty. Check it out at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Today, there's someone I know that is turning, well, actually, I guess he's already turned 50 years old. And of course, 50 years to a lot of people is the hump where once you go over, everything else goes downhill. But we'll get to that. Graham Field today, October 16th, 2015, is 50 years of age. He has written a new book, fairly new book. It's uh, been out for a few months now, I guess, or maybe maybe a little bit longer, called Different Natures and the Spaces in Between by Graham Field, An Overlanding Evolution. I'm not sure if that's an evolution in Graham's style of writing the books or his evolution in experience while on the road, but we're going to find that out. Graham also has a couple of other books, one called Eureka and the other one In Search of Greener Grass. And today, although Graham is in London today, he actually lives in Bulgaria. He's somehow defected to Bulgaria, which we're going to have to get into. Graham, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you, Jim. I can't say your introductions are getting any more flattering. The hump. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I sent you a, a message, by the way, and I, I wanted to make sure that it was okay that I mentioned your birthday on the show and you didn't respond. Your answer would have been... Oh, yeah, of course, it's fine. No, I've deliberately spent the whole day away from Facebook, away from the internet. Uh, so I haven't looked at it at all. <laughs> That's wonderful because I announced it on yesterday's show. So you'll probably, you'll probably get some oh. messages from that. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, Graham, what what brings you to London? Is it just your celebration of your birthday? Uh, well, yeah. Um, I went. Uh, I probably spent too much time deciding what significant thing I was going to do for a significant birthday, and in the end, something wonderful turned up. So, I'm in London doing something wonderful. Yeah. Very nice. Hey, before we get into your latest book, Different Natures, let's just talk a little bit about the other two books first. Just give us a rundown on what those books were about. Okay, well, the first one, In Search of Greener Grass, was uh, a trip I did in 2010. And I think it's probably got the the wide-eyed awe that you only ever get on the first trip. Really, I won £5,000 on a a TV game show. And I'd written in the application for the TV game show uh, that if I won a significant amount of money, I would do a trip that would make Charlie and Ewan's look like a trip to the supermarket. And then that got broadcast on TV, so I felt somewhat committed and ended up buying myself a KLR 650 off of eBay, a very cheap one. And with really no clue at all as to what I was heading for, I went east and slowly through Eastern Europe and Ukraine and Russia and Kazakhstan. I made it to my destination, Mongolia. And then having got there, I realized it was really short-sighted, it being a landlocked country on the biggest landmass on the planet. You've got to go somewhere from there and continued on through Siberia and eventually to South Korea. And so it was a 15,000 mile journey which on a £5,000 budget, which took about 100 days. And it was, uh, really, I suppose the book is about, you don't need support, you don't need a privileged life, you don't need sponsorship, you just need the will to go and, and, a, and a, a relatively modest amount of money. So that was what In Search of Greener Grass was about. And the next book was Eureka. Yeah, so then I haven't done that, and, and the book seemed to go down quite well. And so then I did took the same bike, the same cheap KLR, and in Eureka I took it down as far south as Iraq and then east to Azerbaijan on the Caspian Sea, where there was a huge U-turn, a huge dilemma as to the whole travel ethos. Why are you doing it? You're doing it for you. You're doing it for everybody else. You're doing it for enviable Facebook statuses. You're doing it to write another book. And there was this huge conflict uh, at the edge of the Caspian Sea, where I was supposed to be going on into what's collectively known as the stands and ended up doing a U-turn, which is why it's Eureka spelt with a U, because uh, it wasn't uh, I wasn't getting from it what I was supposed to be getting from it. And the second, the second I made that U-turn decision, it's as if the planets aligned, everything fell into place. And it wasn't like I did a straight line back home. I didn't have a home to go to. My house was rented out. And I just ended up turning around and having a spectacular time. The second half of the journey was, was after that eureka moment, was, was incredible. And I think it's probably, apart from the actual destinations, I'm in Iraq and everything. It was very cool to go through. But apart from the destinations, it was saying, you know, you don't, to change the plan is okay to you don't have to what you do is isn't written in stone ultimately it's about you enjoying what you're doing and it's not necessarily fulfilling the plans and the obligations that you uh, you said you were going to do before you left so that was the second book yeah eureka you know i've been curious about that when you had that eureka moment did that change the way that you do motorcycle adventures or anything for that matter i think i think every trip is a learning experience and Eureka was a huge learning experience because it was, I, I watch a lot of people on Facebook who go away on their bikes and it does seem to me that some of them are purely about enviable Facebook statuses. Look what I'm doing. Look where I am. Look what I'm seeing. 
and there are a few who will post stuff. I'm in this town and this happened in this town at this day. And they're actually educating you. They're giving you a bit of information, something useful, something cool. And that I think the Eureka thing was I thought I was just going to go out and do a trip and write a book about it. And it, it all fell flat. It didn't work that way. So once I'd had the Eureka moment and made that decision, then I would screw the book. I'm just going to have fun. And then I realised that, you know what, a lot of people, a lot of people's trips fail. I see a lot of people who go off, it doesn't work out for whatever reason, and they feel they failed. I think the only failure is pushing yourself on to do something which you're not enjoying. Ultimately, it's okay to make it up as you go along. So, yeah, that was kind of my philosophy and my learning experience in that particular trip. Or the failure maybe not to go at all. I, I guess... I don't know where does that leave you well I just mean that like a lot of times you know we want to do things in life and and I think there's there's so many of us who just find excuses you know why we can't do it it's not right the time's not right and and I think that as you go through life and you start to learn things like you have uh, and and I I know I have in my life you certainly realize that there is no perfect time so if you're waiting for the perfect time you're just going to sit at home on the couch all the time Definitely. Yeah, there's a there's a few philosophies out there of, of people saying, you know, the, the, the best time is now. Just do it because it's uh, it is such a cliche. But um, it's there are always excuses. There are always reasons not to. There's disease here. There's war there. There's infighting there. But ultimately, the world isn't going to get better. There's never going to be a time when there's peace across the planet. And they say, right, everybody jump on your bikes and go. You know, any plan, every dream has, has a momentum. You've just got to you just need a certain urge to keep that momentum going because people, and it's always the people who haven't done it, who say, oh, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't do that. You know, you sure you want to do it? And I, and I always say to people, speak to the people who have done it because the people who have done it will only enthuse and encourage because the people who haven't done it have just read the scaremonger stories in the, in the papers and that. So uh, it's all cliche what I'm saying, but the reason it's cliche is because it's true, you know? You know, in case the listener thinks that I mean, you mentioned when you wrote In Search of Greener Grass that um, you did this, you called it the first trip, but but these weren't your first trips. I mean, you've been doing this sort of thing for quite some time. You've had uh, somewhat of an adventurous life till this point. I suppose so. I mean, I've always traveled and I've, motorcycles have always been part of my life. So, yeah, In Search of Greener Grass was the first big trip that involved visas, involved overland borders, involved Cyrillic language and 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 just going off on my own previous trips had been perhaps with friends or or or, or, or at least english speaking countries and and stuff like that so yeah it was uh, you uh, in search of green grass with the big trip but um yeah the different natures uh, was was earlier trips and and i think that gets back to your question about what the the evolution was the other interesting thing is you were not always a writer you became a writer for in search of greener grass uh, sorry, did you say a writer or a writer? Writer. Sorry, that's my accent. Writer. Okay, yeah, sorry, your dodgy Canadian accent, Jim, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I've always, always kept a diary, um, as as you know from that interview we did a while ago where mm-hmm. you made me randomly go and pick a diary and read out a day. <laughs> so, And that's what I did for different natures. I thought, I wonder if I can read about these trips that I did. I mean, the first one back in 2001 and if it will still work. And actual fact, it did, it evoked all these memories. It brought it all back to me. The diary was just jogging my mind, but, and that's 
always, whenever I write these books, the greatest thing, regardless of sales, regardless of anything else, is I am transformed back to that trip. I'm riding it again. And that's the reward for me right there. And uh, that's what happened. I started reading my diaries and looking up some old trips. And I thought, actually, um. I'm back there, and maybe if 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 there's a, if if I can if I can express this on the page, I can I can take the the reader back there as well. You know, when you and I originally talked uh, and, and did that interview where we talked about your diaries, uh, it was something that uh, that came up. I think again and again on a, on a few different shows or episodes that we talked about uh, the value of writing things down. And uh, I mean, there is something about going back and reading your notes that, like you said, it, it just brings back everything vividly. And there's so many things that we forget in life. I know that after we spoke, and I, I think I told you at the time that I've kept a sort of a, a random de- diary, nothing like yours. Um, where just every now and then I make entries. And, and after that interview, I thought, you know what? I'm going to start doing my diary regular. But I didn't. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a bit like you said just now about, you know, when is the right time to travel? And, and people, people say, ah, oh, I wish I'd have kept a diary. Well, start, start today. I mean, you may not have captured the school years or the first love years or the first motorbike years, but start now. Start today. And, uh, and it, it is so rewarding to look back and see those things. And also, if you do aspire to want to write a book or whatever, you are practicing your writing technique. And I think over 25 years of writing a diary, inevitably, you're going to get better at doing something. So I, they are, you know, if there was ever a fire it would be the first thing I rescued out of my house. And it's kind of funny this morning, I don't know what time it was, the fire alarm, the, uh, the, it went off in the, in the hotel room. And uh, my, um, there's this thing on the roof, this, this, I'm looking at it now, this sort of white protruding plastic alarm thing from the, coming from the ceiling. And it was just screeching uh, <laughs> early this morning. And my immediate reaction is to stand on the bed and try and stop it from screeching. And my girlfriend's reaction was to get the hell out of the room. <laughs> And I thought, I need to change my immediate reaction. (laughs) Well, you know, you you do change with age. And uh, I think I'd mentioned already that uh, today you turn 50. How does it feel now? Uh, At the moment, it's pretty good. (laughs) You're okay with your balance and all of that still? (laughs) Well, it's such a small room, Jim. Even if I did lose it, I wouldn't fall that far. <laughs> There's walls all around me. Well, of course, all of that drops off after this. But happy birthday, Graham. Thank you, Jim. Cheers. Let's talk about this latest book, Different Natures and the Spaces in Between, uh, An Overlanding Evolution. What does the title mean? Okay, well, the different natures are the different natures I wrote through because the book takes you from the Alaskan Arctic Circle all the way down to southern Mexico. So you've got high plains, you've got desert, you've got Pacific Ocean, you've got a bunch of very different environments. But it's also because the book covers a 12 years of of riding. It's also the different natures of character as I slowly matured and became more experienced because uh, if, if you may have read in the seven pages that you've managed so far, it was quite a, a debauched lifestyle initially. And perhaps um, I sit here in a bed surrounded by empty champagne bottles, but it's less debauched now, generally. 
<laughs> I have trouble believing that, Graham. But and it's not page seven; it's day seven, by the way. Um, but the the thing is, your writing is really interesting. As I said to you, I connect on many levels as I read this, and I think most people will when they read through. You're very candid. You, you don't spend um, all your time talking about uh, what's around you. You 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 spend your time also talking about you and what you're feeling and and honestly what you're doing, which is kind of surprising. Some of these you read and you go, "Wow, I'm surprised." I'm surprised he wrote that i was surprised i wrote that i really i I write it like i say i I look at my diaries i write down what i've done and then when i go through it again after the copy edit after the proofread and you really think i I am publishing my diaries here i am laying myself on the line these are my innermost thoughts my most private stuff but ultimately what do you do when you're on your bike you're not just seeing stuff it's all that stuff that's going on inside the helmet inside your head And I think to deny that that's going on, those thoughts, those insecurities, those obsessions, if if you you might as well acknowledge it because we all have it. And and some of the loveliest reviews of the book have been people who've said, God, it's obviously okay to think that. I've thought that, but, you know, Graham thinks it too, you know, so I thought, (laughs) cool, you know. (laughs) Well, right on your back cover, Ride Magazine, there's a quote here, says, surprising, funny, opinionated, vivid. Yeah, I thought that was pretty accurate. <laughs> so opinionated. Talk about that. Well, yeah. If you can't rant in your own book, where can you rant? You know, yes, I'm opinionated. I have huge problems with certain sectors within the biking industry, within society in general. And uh, and I'm going to tell it what I'm not preaching as such as this is how it is and this is what you should think. This is what I think, and this is why it pisses me off. So, yeah, it's opinionated, yeah. Well, there's certain times in here where you'd mentioned something about, you know, this, about a certain culture. I assume that's at the time as well. But it's interesting to hear those things because, yeah, I mean, people have these thoughts all the time. Very rarely does anyone actually speak them. Yeah, I think that the great thing about, I've traveled so much, you know, I don't, suffer from racism or the the labels that stuck on different nationalities different countries different cultures but i still see certain groups who are fake who are irritating who are annoying who are who are don't offer nothing to society and when i see those groups at that time at when my mind is in that place then um then yeah, it pisses me off and I'll mention it. Uh, does it change? Yeah, I suppose your opinions always change, don't you? You have to be open-minded and be changed. But um, I, I suppose I still have certain, <laughs> I'm not going to name anything, they're in the book, but there are certain groups of people that I have no tolerance for. <laughs> what do you expect that someone's going to get from different natures? Okay, well, the thing is, what I didn't realise when I wrote it, and what is blaring obviously now, is that there are so many books out there that cover the Americas, certainly North America and Mexico. I mean, you've got Lois Price and Nathan Millwood and there are and Sam Manicom and so many writers have covered that area. Uh, so it's not really just about the journey and the terrain and the scenery. I think, what will people get out of it? I think if they like my writing style, if they're familiar with the other books, they will enjoy the writing style because I think it's probably the best book I've written in terms of uh, flow and cohesion. 
I think inevitably they'll learn a bit about the areas that I travel through. But I think the biggest thing they'll get is how we evolve, how we continue to evolve with experience and age. And I think that's probably the big thing that comes across in the book. Yeah, I, I didn't get that it was uh, describing traveling a, across the United States from what I've read so far. Um, but what I did get is some tidbits of what you describe as amazing places to go. There was the one, uh, I think it was Zion National Park that you, you really go on about. Yeah, it's my favorite, favorite place on the planet. Yes, it's uh, the first time I went there, it absolutely did it for me. I've probably been there 10 times since. And what more can you say? It's my favorite place on the planet. I just, it makes it's it's so grand it makes me feel so insignificant it makes all those little issues you have in life seem like nothing because on the great grand scale of things we are nothing you know everything that is going on will pass and uh, i love that about zion it just makes me get everything into perspective well that's some of the great things that you get from reading the way you write is somebody like yourself who's traveled so much you, you see places uh, many places and for you to pick out those nuggets and point them out I, mean, I sort of put that on my list as soon as I read it I thought okay well that's a place I have to go I have not been there yet you also had another moment I, I remember where you were, you were standing in the river I, I think um, I can't remember you're brushing your teeth getting ready for bed or something and, and just the way you described the whole scene I think a lot of us who do a lot of outdoor stuff uh, and in particular motorcycle riding and camping really connect with that do you remember the scene i'm talking about yeah i know exactly what you're talking about um yeah i think uh, it, it, for, for me it's a every day is a constant change to try and live in the moment to try and appreciate what's going on right now and and i'm always aware of it but i don't always do it and there was that moment when i was standing in that river uh and watching the the moon reflect off of the the cliffs this is in moab in utah and uh and and just being in the moment where I was, what I was doing. It's uh, when that happens. When that happens, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I think it happens more on the road than it does in everyday life. But when you actually manage that, it's uh, yeah, it's a special moment. It really is. And I think you're right. I think you have to pull away from everything. I think you have to almost be free of your encumbrances of, of normal life to take it all in, to have those moments, even where you're standing there doing nothing. You've got no agenda. Um, you're not doing anything. You're, you're just standing there taking it all in and you have those wonderful moments. But, but that is the reward of motorcycle travel. Yeah, it was. And I was quite stoned at the time as well. And that was another reward. I wasn't going to add that, Graham. <laughs> I was just going to leave that for the reader to find. <laughs> there is a chapter in this book where you go into a town, you're looking for a camp spot and you find your camp spot and just a simple little interaction with some of the locals leads you to something much greater. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it was, I, I, I was in this sort of cactus desert in Mexico and this, and there was a little camping place and I, I pulled up and they called it <laughs> rather imaginatively a, a botanical gardens. It wasn't, it was just a cactus desert. And these guys were so pleased that someone had turned up on their bike and they were going to have a camping guy, uh, person there. So I paid my little money for my campsite and they all pulled a beer out of the fridge because clearly my camping money was going to pay for them to all have a drink. And uh, so I went off, made, put, me, uh, put my tent up and went up to this little vista point. And it was gorgeous. I could see across these valleys of cactus and the sun was going down. I thought this scene would be so much better with a beer. 
I'm going to go back and uh, have one of their beers. And they said to me, they, they spoke a little English, have a tiny bit of Spanish. And they said, there's no more beer. We drank them all. But you can have a bit of ours if you want. Anyway, cut a long story short, I ended up going off and getting more beer. And they had a guitar. They had fantastic voices. And they loved to sing Beatles songs. And they were playing Yesterday. Can you sing Yesterday? I was like, well, I know the words. That doesn't really mean I can sing it. But yeah, I was singing Yesterday. And because I got an English accent, they thought it was brilliant. It's not. It's tone, tone flat. But it was... Uh, but that led to, uh, you must meet our family. You must come and, uh, and come and eat with us. So then I'd left my camping stuff, got on my bike and followed them to their restaurant, which was opened up specially for us. And then we ate all the time drinking, all the time drinking. And there was this older guy who was really mad, spent a lot of time listening and a little bit of time talking. And he decided he was going to tell me this story. And sentence by sentence, he slowly told me the story. What I didn't pick up, I was translated for me. But it was basically about out there somewhere in the hills, there's a special cactus. And that special cactus produces on a certain time of year, not every year, but occasionally, this special fruit. And that fruit is matured and brewed into a particularly potent potion. And there is a certain place here in this town where we can go and sample that potion. And he would be honoured if I was to go with him and have two shots of this potion. Well, what are you going to do? You're not going to turn down an opportunity like that. So then with my tent and my most of my valuables abandoned in a campsite, and now my bike abandoned outside a restaurant, we then went off to this bar. And without going into huge detail, it was just the craziest and spookiest bar and not the place you would ever walk into on your own where the locals are, are, are real quite sinister characters anyway this if this were ever turned into a cartoon this jug that was poured out would have like a skull on it and like several x's and this this jug of alcohol was poured out and this dust was brushed off and amongst this sort of reverend silence this uh, this liquid was poured into a shot glass and given to me everybody was watching I thought well clearly this is a very rare liquid I'm not going to shoot it I'm going to sip it and I sipped it and thank god it was palatable and I drank it and then a second one was poured and I drank it too and it wasn't horrific and I wasn't totally drunk but it was uh, a, such a surreal place where there was this skinny uh, Mexican uh, sort of cowboy type who had been sitting almost horizontally on his chair and tipped his cowboy hat and, there's, and there was music playing in the background and he tipped his cowboy hat and he looked at me and said, Scorpion. <laughs> my body, my body, where? And he said, uh, "Wind of change." No, he said, "Oh yeah, they're playing the Scorpions." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, and I, I won't tell you about all the characters. It's in the book, but it was the most surreal experience. And I, and strangely, the people who had taken me to the bar because I was talking to the other characters in the bar, the people who had taken me got jealous, and then they were trying to get my attention. My attention was all over the place. Anyway. What eventually happened was I decided it was time to leave this place before I was either thrown out or kicked out or passed out inside it and was walking back down this empty street late at night in some small Mexican town where dogs were barking and rats were scurrying, trying to remember where my bike was and then getting back on my bike. And although I don't promote the kind of riding without protection and, and under the influence of some strange cactus juice, I then rode it back to the... Uh, to this cactus desert and riding through this cactus desert where my headlight, which I never realized before because I'd never ridden at night, was pointing way too high and illuminating these cacti. And, uh, 
and, and and again having one of those moments where you think what the hell just happened to me <laughs> and they're, they're the they're the things though jim they're they're the things that you couldn't put that in a tour you couldn't plan that in your itinerary you couldn't possibly foresee that they're the magic moments that stay with you if you're lucky enough to survive them if you're lucky did you feel that you were in danger at certain points because i sort of got the feeling when i read it that you you considered that there was certainly the possibility of danger i'm not danger i got to meet the president as he was called of the village who was this huge muscly dude in a tight t-shirt and he shook my hand he said i am president and then he said george bush and i said ah i am english (laughs) tony blair (laughs) (laughs) but no i didn't i didn't feel in danger i think you've you've generally got instincts there's there's times very rare times on my travels where i've felt danger and i think your instinct kicks in i it certainly wasn't the case there no not long ago, Elizabeth and I, because we're on the road right now traveling around, and we um, we met up with these, we pulled into a spot and there was a, a couple of characters in a car there. When we got out, I knew there was something wrong with them in my mind. I, I just sort of felt it, you know, that, it's that, that type of thing they describe as the hair stands up on the back of your neck. And I didn't quite get that, but to me, I wasn't comfortable with them. They, the one jumped out of the car and, and approached Elizabeth and, and started speaking with her. They were too friendly. They were very interested in in our setup and what we were doing and whatnot. And we both got a bad feeling. A little while later, they left. um, And then when we went to set up our camp, they came back and they appeared down the way as if they were looking for us. Needless to say, we left. And we both had the feeling, a really deep, grave feeling. And that's following your instincts. That's, you know, I mean, I mean, it could have been very innocent, but we think not. We think that there was definitely something up there. Do you find those moments often? Uh, I mean, especially, I mean, this was in, this is in Ontario, Canada. So it's, it's a very safe, supposedly safe place. And of course, you're in Mexico, which is supposedly very dangerous. Do you find those instances where you, you run into times where the hair stands up in the back of your neck and you say, oh, I've just got to get out of here? So rarely, it happens so rarely. I hear so many stories and so many and so much scaremongering about those incidents, like you just said. I just read one the other day, but it I've experienced. There was one incident in Iraq where I was scared because I didn't know who I was dealing with. But generally, no, I don't know whether it's luck. I don't know whether it's naive bliss. I don't know whether it's because I travel on my own and I'm not much of a threat to anybody. But I I, I don't experience it that common and i just hope that when i do my instincts are going to kick in unlike they did when the fire alarm went off just now and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and you just know that this is not a situation you want to be in and, and you've got to get out of it. It, it they've always worked up till now you've, you've got to have absolute trust in your instincts i think it seems to me you generally just go with the moment. You you fall into something and one thing leads to another and you go with the moment. And that's is that part of the adventure? Is that part of finding adventure? I suppose it is. It's not, it's not blatant recklessness. I don't go into a situation expecting. Although, funnily, I've always thought it would look fabulous on a gravestone if your day of death was the same as your date of birth. And particularly now, if 161065 to 161015, that would be so perfect. So I'm being particularly reckless today. But no, generally, I don't really, um, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't not go into situations because I'm scared of the possibilities. But 
I, I, you accept them for what they have. You generally know. I mean, there was a, a once I was changing money in India and I was led down all these back streets. Uh, this is getting dodgier and dodgier. I don't think I can find my way out. I could easily be hit over the head. They know I've got money on me because I'm here to change money. And and you do feel situations where you think this ain't right, this ain't right. But <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's an exhilaration in finding yourself in those situations. And I suppose it happens more in the West where I do know dodgy where there, where there will be dodgy areas. But when I'm further afield, when I'm in foreign countries, yeah, the naive bliss kicks is, is there and you don't necessarily see a situation for all its potential danger. You can only see it for your own general alertness and experience. Graham, can you sing a few bars from yesterday for us? <laughs> no, Jim, I can't. <laughs> really? Because I, I thought in the book you'd sang, and I just assumed that you could actually do that. I know you're not good, but we just wanted to hear it. Do you really want to hear that? Yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> no, this isn't, not me. this isn't me going, do you want to hear that? <laughs> this is me saying, are you sure you want to hear that? <laughs> No, Jim, it's not going to happen. I think I've ranted and been opinionated enough. I think I've committed pretty bad this was getting sins on this interview, and I don't think I'm going to do another one. <laughs> this was getting really good, too. Graham, what keeps you safe when you're on the road? Um, I, again, I think instincts. Um safe from potential dangers or, or safe from falling off my bike? Oh, not from falling off your bike, I mean, just from potential dangers. I mean, let's face it, most people look at going somewhere, whether it's abroad or whether it's even in your own country, when you're traveling as, as, as a tourist, you become somewhat vulnerable. It's There's no mistake when a person comes into your area that they're from somewhere else, even if it's just your license alone. I mean, you you know, if you're, you're traveling from a, another country, your license alone says you're a tourist, but you've got all your bags on your bike and as we always say with the motorcycle, you're completely exposed. People can see what you are and what you're doing. And what keeps you safe from, from uh, malice? I think, um, again, it sounds corny, it sounds cliche, but having a smile on your face, keeping that smile and not looking threatening, pulling down. I generally wear a bandana across my face so I don't breathe in moths and dust and bees. Pulling the bandana down, lifting up the flip-up lid, showing a smile and not looking threatening. I think that is one of the things that keeps me safe, is always it willing to, I, you know, we do, and I've said this before, as motorcyclists, can look quite intimidating with all our gear on, and our big, fat, noisy motorcycles, but if you can, if you can take that element of uh, away, and you can, and that's why I travel with my little uh, fluffy toy monklet as well. It's such an oxymoron. You're a you're a, a big old biker on this big old machine, and you've got a, a fluffy toy hanging on your handlebars with a smiley face, and it's an icebreaker. And if you've got that, and you've got a smile on your face, I think that just it, it just dispels. If if you're not threatening, people aren't threatened. If you can smile, people smile back. It's infectious. It's an infectious as a bad and shitty attitude. And if you're going to project, what do you stop me for? What do you want? You ain't looking in my panniers. That's going to provoke a nasty reaction, whereas a smile generally provokes a, a good one. So you're generally drawing towards you, you know, the way you're feeling. Yeah. And, I, and I, it, is, it is the most 
important thing to take with you is a smile. It is so important. It gets you out. And again, this is me traveling on my own. And I nearly always travel on my own. And I think when you're a group of people, I don't I, I don't necessarily know what the, the right thing is, because the more of you there are, the more intimidating you can be, the more the customs man and the border official has to be seen to do his job and will exercise his power. On my own, I'm not a threat. With a smile, I'm not a threat. And, uh, and, and, and that's what I believe. And I think that's what I project. And it seems to be the reaction that I get. On the cover of this latest book, Different Natures, you have a picture of a tread, I assume it's yours, on one of your KLRs with snow in it. Is there a significance to this photograph? Well, probably the only significance was I agonized over the over the cover. The, the cover of Eureka was was not designed by me and it was a flash of inspiration by somebody else. But the cover of Different Natures, I tried so hard and batted it back and forth with so many people. And then you just become blind to it. You can't see it. a good photo doesn't necessarily work as a cover. A cover doesn't or a, 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 a not so good photo when you suddenly put some titles across it. Um, look at it suddenly works. And what I'd done, what I wanted, I was I was in Colorado. It was in March. It was snowing like mad. I thought. Uh, if I, if there was a lot of snow on the driveway. I thought if I ride my bike down through the snow down the bottom of the driveway, I can take a photograph of the tire tread. And deer had run across the driveway. And I thought with the tire tread going across the deer tracks, that will be perfect. Different natures, the deer and the motorcycle tire. And I tried taking those photos and it didn't really work. And then having got the bike down at the bottom of the driveway, I realized I couldn't get it back up again because the driveway was full of snow and it was just slippery as hell. So I had to get out the snowblower, clear the whole driveway driveway wait for the to dry off and when I went back down about three hours late to pick up the KLR there was all that snow embedded in the tire and I took a photograph of that and it just worked it just it sort of it's the different natures of riding a motorcycle through snow it's black and white it's not actually a black and white cover if you look really hard but just snow and black tire it appears black and white and um I don't know. It just worked. It says a lot. It says nothing. And uh, it's you can always agonize about the cover of a motorcycle book. Do you have a motorcycle on it? If you do, it will attract the motorcyclists. It will alienate the people who don't like motorcyclists, but would probably like the book because it's about travel. So you can agonize so much about a cover. And uh, that was what I came up with. And, and now it's kind of become my branding because now there's T-shirts with that picture. Now there's key rings. Now there's stickers with that picture. And uh, it just kind of... Uh, it kind of got this momentum, as as tires often do. <laughs> I like it. It's it says adventure to me. It, it says something unexpected. You know, the snow is unexpected, and um, and you're still going. It's it's pretty neat. I assume it's a rear tire from the way the shot is taken. Is the tire not on backwards? <laughs> I hope not. Because it certainly looks like it to me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a huge faux pas, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, if you look at it, the the grooves are are facing the wrong direction. I mean, if I in if if I am looking at the rear of the motorcycle, which I, I have to be, yeah. um, then the the tread's going the wrong way. It's it's a Mifo tire. It's, they've definitely got a direction of rotation on it. It was a mistake I made with Kinder tires because they don't have a direction. I did have it the wrong way around. I'm. I'm I'm pretty sure, Jim, I had it the right way around, but you have put a little bit of doubt in me, Mike. Right <laughs> well, it's interesting because usually a tread that is any sort of V-shape is meant to be self-cleaning. So as it spins, the dirt goes out to the outside and self-cleans the tread. Whereas this would be the opposite. This would be pulling the dirt in the middle there by clogging the tread as you went. That's interesting. 
That's something to contemplate when you see Graham's book. Have a look at it. Have a look at that tire and see if you think that is facing in the right direction. Then, and get on Facebook and uh, and let Graham know that you saw this. Yeah, and also, what, what tires are best? And hard or soft panniers? <laughs> Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's no. let's talk about some of the photos here. Um, there's one in particular, the last photo here on the right-hand side. What is that all about? I, I didn't quite get that when I was looking at them, about um, how can I leave this behind? <laughs> so, so, yeah, so, Graham, you now live in Bulgaria. You're, you've defected from the UK, as I said, um, and live in Bulgaria. Tell us about that. Um. I went there in 2013, passed through Bulgaria um, on my way when I did the Eureka trip. And it was just a country that I, I, I really loved every aspect of it. And I, I think when, you, when you've traveled quite a lot, there are aspects from every country that you really like. But all, also there's, there's things that you don't like. And Bulgaria was some, a place that just stayed with me. And I went to Horizons Unlimited meet this summer, uh, not just because... I wanted to go, but I wanted to see if it was as good a country as, uh, as I remembered it. And it, the second I, my KTM broke down, I was on a KTM to try and do some miles in Ari. It didn't work, so I ended up flying. And the second I got to the airport, I, um, I just thought, no, there is something about this place. And I'd sold them place in the UK, and I didn't really know what I was going to do. It seemed to be the, the, uh, the, the answer of the year seems to be, I don't know, I'm not sure. And I didn't know where I was going to live or what I was going to do. And I went to Bulgaria, and there was... I know some people, there's this motor camp that I've, I've, I've written about in Eureka, this little sort of biker haven, which is uh, sort of a bed and breakfast and place of bikers, which has become increasingly more popular. And that was where the Horizons Unlimited meet was. So I went for that. And I also know some British people who have also defected to that area. And there was this house for sale and it was on a plate. It was fully furnished. It had knives, forks, toaster, washing machine, bedding. And it was a, a properties in Bulgaria by uh, comparison to British prices are so cheap. And I just thought nothing has been handed to me on a plate in my life. I'm just going to buy it. And I opened a Bulgarian bank account, flew back home, jumped on the KTM, which was now working. Four days later, I was back in Bulgaria and I had in my panniers a subwoofer and a motorhead poster. And I put a motorhead poster on the wall, plugged the sub subwoofer into the iPod and I was home. All I need to do is go to the shops and get some food and and that was back in July. And this could still be the honeymoon period, but I love every aspect of it. There's there's several different nationalities of, of European nationalities within the village. And there's this spontaneity, there's this zest for life. Plus, there's this constant changing uh, uh, social life from the people who come and stay at motor camp. And every aspect of it is just wonderful. Sometimes I wonder if I had a fatal accident on the KTM as I rode down, because since I moved there in June, it's been everything, every aspect of my life has just been fantastic. I love the roads. Every road is new. Everything's a new day, exciting, a place I haven't been to before. The people are great. The scenery is great. Everything is, is perfect at the moment. You mean, it had you had an accident and now you're living in utopia? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it says something about you as a person, and I think anyone would pick that up when you hear that you take a subwoofer and a motorhead poster, and that's it, your home. It's not the normal stuff you pack in your panniers, it's is it? It's not. You forgot your toothbrush. <laughs> you can buy toothbrushes in Bulgaria well, that's, as well. Yes, that's a very good point, isn't it? Everything else can be can be picked up. 
Now, what I found really interesting and I got really excited about was when I saw the photograph of the three box set. So I want to talk about this because especially because Christmas is coming up and people are going to be wondering what they should get for Christmas for a friend or or maybe what they can suggest, you know, to their, their loved one that they buy or their family that they buy for themselves. And I, I think this is it. I think I've I've found my, my favorite, uh, at least so far, my favorite present for the year. And this is a three-box set that you put together, your three books, uh, uh, Different Natures, the latest one, Eureka and In Search of Greener Grass, in a box. Tell us about this box. Oh, it was a divine flash of inspiration. It just came to me. I wanted to do it as a box set. And then I thought, make the box like a pannier. And so my pannier, the, the one that's been across all the, the places that the books cover, has got a lot of stickers on it. And so... Uh, I've had a box made, which is an absolute replica. It's got the uh, the Turatec oil um, container on the back. It's got padlocks. It's got bungee cords. It is an absolute replica of a aluminum, as you call it, pannier, and covered in stickers. And the three books are inside it, along with in, like that branding I was talking about, along with like a key ring and stickers and stuff. And I'm putting it out as cheap as I can. So it's significantly cheaper than it would be if you were to buy the books individually. And it's 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 got it's like a coffee table book. It's just got sex appeal. It's just something that you've just got to have on your shelf. I hope <laughs> but it does look so good. I, I think it looks very cool. It, to me, it's something it's it's a must have for sure. Um, where can people find it, though? Is it going to be in the stores? Uh, it won't be in stores. It will definitely be away, available from my website, which is grandfield.co.uk. And it, I will going to try and see if Amazon will stock it, whether they're prepared to stock something that big and heavy and how much they'll charge to ship it out. I'm not sure. So it might just be more cost effective if it's distributed by my website. But um, we'll see uh, if, it, if it is on Amazon. Trust me, I'll be promoting the hell out of it. But at the moment, it will just be available from my website. And is it ready to ship now? It's it's ready to order now. It's not going to be shipped until probably mid-November. And there's not that many of them because I don't know whether it's going to work or not. And it's it's expensive to get boxes uh, printed. It's easy to get a box, but to get it all printed and everything is quite expensive. And basically, I'm giving them away because it's uh, it's just something to contain the books and i'm also reducing the price of the books in it so it's all really it's just something i wanted to do and uh, it's not cost effective to do it and so therefore there's not that many of them but um maybe i'll get them on amazon i'm not sure well, it's very cool. I think it's really neat. And we'll, we'll put a photo um, uh, on this episode's show notes as well as a link to your website where people can go to buy it. My question is about it, though. I noticed that you made it, uh, as you said, an aluminum box, a pannier. Um, so it's a hard pannier. Why not a soft pannier? Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody knows and he pusses you soft pannier. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there it is. It's Different Natures and the Spaces in Between by Graham Field and Overlanding Evolution. And uh, um, all these books are available on Amazon. Of course, your other two, Eureka and uh, In Search of Greener Grass, all available on Amazon. Make great Christmas presents for this year and especially that box set, which I'm excited about. And I got to see about getting one of those. Graham, thanks very much for coming on the show and, and talking about your new book. Oh, thanks as ever, Jim. It's so easy to talk to you. I really enjoyed being on this show. And that was Graham Field from his three-star hotel in London, England. And you have to admit, for a 50th birthday, he was pretty lucid, wasn't he? 
You can find out more about Graham by visiting his website, gramfield.co.uk. And if you have any trouble finding that, drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Go to this episode's show notes, and you'll find links in there to Graham's website, and also that box set. And by the way, if you're looking for Graham's books, or anybody's books for that matter, with uh, Adventure Motorcycle and Thought, uh, you can drop by our website and go to the Merch button, which is our store. And we have a page set up there with um, a bunch of motorcycle books, probably most of the motorcycle books you can imagine there. And when you buy one of those, we get a certain portion, a small percentage, but we get something from Amazon who fulfills the orders. So it's a great way to support Adventure Rider Radio and also get the book that you want. So drop by our website um, and buy it through us and and give a, a little kickback to Adventure Rider Radio. Now, uh, while I'm speaking about that, I'd like to talk about uh, the t-shirts and stickers that we have. We have these fantastic, I'm biased, of course, as always, uh, stickers with Adventure Rider Radio logo on it and t-shirts. And they're available at the store. Now, we need to order these things in bulk, so we really need your order. So drop by the website, grab yourself a shirt. I mean, the Christmas season is coming up, the celebration time where you're buying gifts and things like that. Please buy one of our shirts or stickers and help support the show and get something good from it as well. And and something I would really love to see from these stickers is take the sticker and stick it somewhere unique. Take a photograph of it and post it on Facebook, like on our Facebook, or or maybe email it to us. Do something like that. It'd be really neat to see these stickers propagate around the world because we have listeners literally around the world. And that'd be really exciting to get those photographs back of these different, whether it's a lamp post or whether it's a gas pump or or whether it's a, a bench that you stop at. Some place that's neat and unique and, and somewhat of interest for motorcycling, at least to you. So do that. Grab a sticker, stick it somewhere, take a photograph and send it into us. And don't forget to go to Graham's website, gramfield.co.uk, and check out that pannier box set. Tell me that is not the coolest gift item that you've ever seen. And it's certainly a one-off. Who knows how many of them are going to be made, but if I were you, I would grab one of these things quick. And if you, hey, if you've got a bunch of extra money, you want extra time, grab one and send it to me because I have not seen it yet in my hands. Anyway, I've seen photographs of it, but I haven't actually held one in my hands. I think it's just the coolest gift. You know, I think humans have a tendency uh, to do good for others. And you can hear it in this show. You hear people that have traveled the world, and it seems that no matter where they go, the far corners of the earth, uh, they run into people, some poor, some not. And everybody wants to give. Everybody wants to help each other out. It's a great concept. It really is. But but sometimes I think we need a, a little incentive or a light push for us to, to reach out and help. And I'll give you an example. You know when you go through the supermarket sometimes and they're doing those fundraising drives, I often hear people complaining about it as they're walking out, grumbling about, oh, that's so frustrating. You know, always being asked, do you want to give a dollar for this? Do you want to give $2 for this? And I thought it as well. I mean, I, you know, you give once or twice and they're asking the third time you're in there because you, it's a place you go to a lot. And well, it, it feels like it's, it's frustrating, you know? It feels like you're being run through this gauntlet. But it occurred to me after I was thinking this that, well, wait a second. What they're really doing is setting up an opportunity 
for you to give. And I'll give you an example. You wouldn't run all over town with your dollar in hand to go knock on a charity's door and say, hey, I really want to bring this dollar to you. Matter of fact, you might feel a little silly doing it because <laughs> you'd probably spend a lot more fuel getting there than you would with that actual dollar or the good that you'd actually do with a dollar. But when somebody sets something up like this, what they're really doing is they're setting up a mechanism for you to give. They're setting up an opportunity for you to give without having to think about it. And it's that sort of mechanism that the Good Adventure Company sets up for loss for a reason. And I heard about the Good Adventure Company by getting an email from J.J. Lewis. He, he was interested in the show and, and uh, got talking with him about that. And then I, I looked more into loss for a reason. I, I saw the name come up, but I didn't really know a lot about it. And I looked more into it. And I see a really incredible setup they've got here. They've taken Lost for a Reason, which is this wonderful charity um, that's been set up by bikers, Ron Grace uh, and, and a bunch of others, including J.J. Lewis, people who are interested in adventure motorcycling, just like you and me. And then they set up the Good Adventure Company to help feed Lost for a Reason. I just think it's a, it's a great concept because it's set up there. The mechanism is there, set up for us to give. And in this case, I'm, I mean, it's one of those, uh, I had never thought of this concept before. I think it's a great concept. Most charities should do it, I think. Get into selling something that people already need so you get full value for the money you're, you're giving and then uh, the profits uh, or a portion of the profits going to the charity. I, I just think it's a great idea. And here I'm talking with Ron Grace and J.J. Lewis about Lost for a Reason mainly, a little bit about the Good Adventure Company and uh, the story about how the whole thing came about. My wife and I were traveling about 10 years ago on the reservation and my bike broke down. This is Ron Grace talking about this meeting with Daryl Curley, who would be the impetus for Lost for a Reason in the coming years. And as we, we were sitting there on the side of the road, an officer, a police officer named Daryl Curley came by and he stayed there with, and talked to us for about two hours. He spoke to us about the kids and uh, the tendency to to mimic the, you know, the Western culture of, of you know, the, the hip hop and the things like that and, and the drifting away from the, the Navajo culture, the traditional Navajo culture. Talked to us about all the things he loved, the places he loved, which happened to be the places we loved. Um, you know, to travel. And uh, he spoke to us for, you know, two hours and also talking about the needs and the different issues that he faces as a police officer with the uh, domestic violence and the poverty and alcohol abuse. It kind of sat with me because I'd love to travel down there. Two years ago, I went to tell Daryl Curley, hey, look what you inspired, because I said, you know, what? I'm going to finally do something about this I found out he was killed in a domestic violence dispute in 2011. I was going to go say, hey, look what you did, you know, you know, proudly say, hey, you can, uh, you know, be proud of yourself, but we're doing something. Fast forward to, you know, uh, to a few years ago, I was, I was asking people, uh, who could I talk to? Um, I need to, I want to plan a ride, like a fundraiser ride. Someone said, uh, talk to, I believe, what's your name? Head shrinker, JJ, like a, yeah, and it was a uh, That's JJ Lewis from the Good Adventure Company, and he also works on the Navajo Reservation. I contacted JJ, and I didn't know who I was contacting and stuff. He lived right there. Basically, with JJ's help, I took like a, a you know, a good idea. Took a good idea floating around in space, you know, until then, because it's like, hey, let's help people. Well, JJ was able to pinpoint, okay, let's help these people here that are live at this address. Let's help this this. Uh, shelter home at this address. That made it really specific. 
you know, there's really no shortage of, of people who need help. And um, so you kind of have to just start small. And our thing has always been, let's not make big, huge promises. Let's just, you know, let's, let's, um, you know, over deliver. Let's under, undersell what we're doing. Let's, let's not, you know, let's, let's not exaggerate it. Let's just uh, say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do what we can to show up and do some work. Basically let's do what we can. And so we don't over promise. We just go and we do what we can. And it's, uh, it's always really positive. We did it. We did a small playground at, uh, yeah, Adobe home shelter home. And, and then, uh, um, JJ ran that and Thomas and, that was uh, that was fantastic because rather than say, hey, we're going to build you a a huge playground, we just built what we could, and and we did it. And so there's a lot more credibility. The Thomas they're referring to is Thomas Casira from Arizona, and Thomas uh, helps out a lot with Lost for a Reason. He's helped them with uh, different shows and administration stuff as as well as uh, some of the projects. We have really limited funds, and so we really have to to. Um, decipher what's really a need, what's a pressing need. You know, we can't just waste, you know, the very small amount of money we work with. We can't, uh, um, we can't waste it. And we, we want to be good stewards of people's hard-earned money. So we want to try to, you know, stretch that as far as we can. Lost for a reason, the name came from when you're traveling and you're traveling by motorcycle and you're vulnerable Purposely turn off the, the GPS sometimes and put the map away and go ask someone and then start a conversation because that connection is really, really, really crucial. This land, I mean, it's only, I live probably about 575 miles from Gallup, but it's, it's still very, very close when you think about it. It's very, very close and there's people who who need our help, who are right next door. I consider that to be uh, like a next door neighbor almost by comparison to other things overseas. And there are many, many fantastic causes that are overseas, but it's so far away. So this is something that we can all get behind and get uh, involved in, you know, both physically, financially, um, and just, uh, you know, you can actually follow what we're doing because we're right here. Both Ron and JJ pointed out in this interview that the people that come to help on this are not getting paid. They're they're totally volunteers. They go and volunteer their time. And that way, the money they raise can go into parts and things needed to do the projects that they're working on, which makes the money go a lot farther. That's a lot of money that you can you can take and um, and, and not spend on on the labor. So then you spend it on the materials. So there's more projects you can do. It's really addictive just the... Uh, you know, smiles and, and people being, uh, you know, just making people happy in general. With the reality of domestic violence. This is J.J. Lewis again. Uh, on the Navajo Nation being like epidemic proportion. And I'm a, I'm a therapist, mind you, and I work on the Navajo Reservation daily. Um, the reality of domestic violence is, is so huge and, and, and ties in with the history of, of you know, Daryl Curley and, and Ron uh, meeting him, you know, Lost for a reason in the volunteers, we really uh, saved um, Todanashi Shelter Home from from going to uh, in other directions. They had a huge, immense plumbing leak that we we fixed. I mean, it was a huge project, like we've been talking about, like six or seven weekends. And volunteers, you know, riding and driving 
eight to 10 hours or more uh, to spend the weekend working their tail off, getting so dirty. And um, it's, it's, it's really inspiring. So, you know, it's, it's one of these things that's gritty. Um, you know, when we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. It's known. It's known, it's known that when we say that we're going to do this, we're going to show up and, and we're going to do it. And that's one of the great things that, that Lost Reason has really established itself as a real credible organization on the reservation when a lot of organizations sort of just come in, you know, do their weekend work trip and then are gone. And the Navajo Nation is, is, is about the size of West Virginia, Jim. It's, it's a huge expanse of um, different landscapes, um, a culture that survived, you know, a thousand years or more um, that many people live um, without water and electricity. Uh, many kids live in that sort of scenario. And a lot of kids live traditionally and live in a real wholesome type of environment. Um, and that's really beautiful. It's a, it's a culture that's really sustained itself. However, you also have another side to it where um, there's an there's, there's a incredible amount of substance abuse. There's an incredible amount of domestic violence, um, abuse in, in, in all its forms. Um, that is, is really prevalent on the reservation. So loss for a reason really kind of, you know, that's the heart of it is we want to help kids and families and, and whatever way we can. And, uh, we do it, um, in small projects, um, that are gaining more and more momentum every day. And Ron says the projects are open. Anyone can get involved and be a part of loss for a reason by volunteering their time and, and help out with the whole cause. Yeah. Anybody can go and, and follow us on Facebook. Uh, we're just under Lost for a Reason, um, or or the website is is lostforareason.org, and uh, we'll usually post it, it, as early as we can. We'll post the details, and, and anybody is welcome. And it, that's the beauty of it. Where when you when you mention if we can plan it out, say a month or so ahead, then people can incorporate the people who who really related to to this in the first place. They can they can say hey I'm going to go and I'm going to say I'm going to travel to Kayenta and I'm going to start out in San Diego and so I'm going to go up and say I'm going to go north I'm going to go up to Moab and then come down and then they can make it a really fun trip and then in the midst of their trip they'll say um, hey I'm going to um, uh, you know I'm here for two or three days to work there's no uh, you know club sort of mentality it's just people who uh, really relate to each other in, in the sense that they want to help. So that's a blast. And, and a lot of people just turn it into a ride. They take the long way, the long way there and they take the long way home. And it does make you think, what does the band think of all this? What are the people who are receiving the help think? And, what, and how do they feel towards Lost for a Reason and the people that help out? Well, they're starting to love them. But, uh, that's really cool. Um, you know, it's interesting. That's a really good question because, because at first, it's almost like it almost feels like, yeah, they're being, you know, like, we'll see, we'll see. And three years ago, it was kind of like I felt like I was on probation or something, you know, like, well, let's see what this guy does. Let's see if he comes back. When I say this guy, you know, keep in mind, I'm talking about all of us because there's a, um, a lot of uh, trips where JJ and Thomas will run. And uh, so a lot of them, um, you know, I'm not there. So it's so as a as a organization, we've we've started to gain credibility, and it takes a long time, you know, for whatever reason. Um, but we've we built that up. They're grateful, 
but they just kind of want to see if you're for real. And I think I think it just takes a while, and it's it's taken a few years to to become for real in their eyes. There's so much, and I'm not I don't I don't get into um to history so so much. I mean, I care about it, I respect it, but but I'm just here today, and I want to make things better for tomorrow. And and the the kids, and it just it just kills me that. Uh, the suicide rate is like two and a half times greater than the rest of the United States. And I just want to, you know, in, instill some sort of, a, you know, excitement or some sort of, a, you know, just a, even unrealistic goals. I want to say, you know, get them thinking, well, I want to, I'm going to be a architect, engineer, you know, go to the moon, just stuff like that, where, um, that, that that sort of thing is kind of a luxury that, that to to where you first of all you have to know about those occupations to aspire to do them and then to aspire to do them can get you over a lot of rough patches you know if you look up and uh, say if you're in a, a deep deep sand and you look up way ahead down about a hundred yards past that's how you get through it you, you just crack open the throttle and look way far ahead and so what I'm that analogy means is Say your day-to-day -day things like, am I going to eat today? Well, we need to get past that. We need to say, well, I'm going to do well. I'm not going to use drugs. I'm not going to um, get into trouble because I'm looking way down, you know, way down the line to uh, college, to or to whatever I need to do to, to do this job. That's what I want to do. And um, that's the huge thing is uh, too much looking. You know, if you look right in front of your front wheel, you're going to crash. And, and love is a universal language, Jim. And, um, you know, none of us really gets to choose where we're born, who our parents are, what country we live in. Um, we just are. Um, but we get to choose how we live. And some people, the most vulnerable, really are having a, a difficult time with that. And, and, and the love that uh, our volunteers show, um, the Navajo community, um, is, is very relevant and real and tangible and responded to. You know, on our most recent project, what was just so overwhelming for me and Thomas was the fact that um, this at, at this 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 project, the meals were actually provided by the Navajo community. Um, they made you know the traditional fare for us and 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 demonstrated love back to us. It was such a beautiful experience um, to you know. You know, they're kind of waiting to see if we're for real. And when they realize that the love is for real, it just it, it breaks down barriers. It breaks down barriers of history and it really creates community. And um, and that's what we're about. You remember the Good Adventure Company? Well, the reason J.J. Lewis and Ron Grace originally came up with that idea and set it up is to raise money for Lost for a Reason. Well, I've, I've always this is, you know, my heart to create something that helps Ron achieve this dream of, of really making a difference and um, on the Navajo reservation. So I wanted to create an engine. You know, we all need motorcycle gear. We, we're adventurers. We love to, to go um, out and, um, you know, exploring on the Navajo reservation has uh, been one of my great pleasures. Um, and some of the routes um, in, in, in landscapes would just blow your mind and, and the people, you know, when you sort of create relationships, just really beautiful um, and you sort of find the needs that need that need to that need to help with so I wanted to create something that was kind of an engine that uh, you know we all buy motorcycle gear 
why not sell it and use the profits responsibly to fund organizations like Loss for Reason? You can find out more about Loss for a Reason and the Good Adventure Company, as well as J.J. Lewis and Ron Grace, um, by visiting the website, our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and look at the uh, show notes for this episode. We also have a, a page for charities um, where we've got a bit of information and links back to their site, so if you have any trouble finding it, just drop by ours. Otherwise, you can go to lostforareason.org. And uh, that will lead you directly there. And, and hopefully you find a way to get involved with this, this great movement these guys have started. Or maybe get inspired from it to do something in your own area. You know, if you're not in their area, you want to do something different. You know, take the ideas or at least the, the thought process behind what they've done with the Good Adventure Company and Lost for a Reason. And um, think about doing something in your own area to help out someone in need. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. And if you haven't been to Max BMW yet, you need to go and look at this website. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And this episode is also brought to you by Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, and Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA with a five-year warranty. Check it out at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our co-producer, Elizabeth Martin. Again, just as last time, working in the background as I record. Don't forget to drop our website, send us your comments. Drop by Facebook, send us your comments on Facebook. Connect with us through Twitter. At Twitter, we're at ADV Rider Radio. And definitely drop by our website and click on the comment button. Send us your comments and suggestions for the shows. You can tell us what you'd like to hear, what you think of what you've heard. Drop by iTunes, for instance, and give us a write-up there. Help spread the word. Let other people know about Adventure Rider Radio. And absolutely, this is the time of year. Drop by the website, pick up some stickers, pick up some T-shirts, and support Adventure Rider Radio. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe.
Hi, this is Linda Boothestone-Bick, and um, you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 